Welcome to episode 187 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop, and today we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite subjects, turning bitumen from Alberta's oil stands into materials, particularly carbon fiber. I'm going to be talking to Dr. Kevin Hodder from the University of Alberta, who's part of one of the teams that is participating in the Carbon Fiber Grand Challenge that's been sponsored by Alberta Innovates, the Provincial uh, uh, Innovation Agency. And this has been going on for a while, and they're very close to having a commercial process uh, to turn uh, bitumen into carbon fiber precursor, which opens up all kinds of opportunities that we'll be talking about with Kevin. And I really want to talk about the science behind this because there's lots of skeptics that, you know, they can be done. And I want him to explain from a science point of view why it probably it can be done and probably will be done. So welcome to the interview, Kevin. So happy to be here. Well, look, a little bit of background for our uh, for our listeners. Uh, Alberta Innovates launched in about 2016-2017 a program called Bitumen Beyond Combustion, and they wanted to investigate ways to to turn uh, bitumen molecules into materials. And bitumen is a very different hydrocarbon resource. It's very it's it's got all sorts of uh, it's thick and gooey like peanut butter. And it has all sorts of other, you know, clays and and other materials in it. Uh, and currently, it's about 3.2 million barrels a day is being mined and extracted in northern Alberta, and then shipped down to the U.S. where it's refined into gasoline and diesel and aviation fuel and so on. But that's not the highest use. And of course, we're heading, we're in an energy transition, we have a climate crisis. So the question arises, what can we do with bitumen, which is this amazing molecule, at, that turns it into something else that we don't burn. And this is where Kevin and his team come in. And there are 12 teams still in the, uh, in the grand challenge. And Kevin, tell us a little bit about your team's approach uh, to this whole issue of creating a carbon fiber precursor from bitumen? Uh, sure, absolutely. So uh, our approach is a little bit different. Uh, to understand our approach, uh, you should understand where we're coming from. So when the bitumen comes out of the oil sands, it needs to be refined. Uh, and it goes one of two ways. So most people know of bitumen being refined into gasoline for their cars. Uh, but there's another heavier fraction um, called asphaltines, which people immediately think of asphalt for roofs and roads and things like that. Um, but these molecules are very large. They're very random. You can sort of picture these big 3D islands of carbon chains floating around. No one really knows um, an exact size or shape to them just because they're so different. Um, and they also contain a lot of impurities. So we're, that's where we're kind of where we're starting from. And carbon fiber is a carbon chain that's aligned almost perfectly in a nice lattice uh, to give it its strength. So we have to somehow take this large agglomerated molecule with all these impurities and turn it into this nice long sort of chain link fence uh, you can think of. So. Uh, my team focused mostly on removing the impurities to start um, and also what we call stacking of the molecules. So if you can sort of picture a piece of paper 
uh, that you've crumpled into a ball. That's kind of what we're starting with. And what we want is to flatten out those pieces of paper as flat as we can get them so they can stack. So if you can just have a bit of a thought experiment again, if we have a bunch of balls of paper and we're putting them in a box, there's gonna be a lot of empty space because uh, those balls are gonna fill up the box quite quickly. But if you think of a box of printer paper where the pages are stacked against each other, you get quite dense, quite strong. That's kind of the, the high level view of what we're trying to do. So one was the impurities and two was the stacking. That was the approach of my group. Yeah, I I interviewed uh, Dr. Paulo Bombet, who is uh, kind of leading this this project for Alberta Innovates, and and he very kindly drew some you know the made some drawings on the whiteboard to explain this to me, and of course I was one of those kids who you know slept through science classes in high school, so I I, I some remedial chemistry work was was in in required for me to get up to speed on this, but mm -hmm. what I took away from this. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, or uh, is that in a typical hydrocarbon molecule, it's molecules that are lined up one after the other in a string, whereas with bitumen, the the molecules are like in a sheet, and that gives it a very unique chemical composition and makes it uh, what's appropriate or it makes it a, a good candidate for the uses that you're talking about. Have, have I got that right? Uh, sort of the way the way I understood it was yes you're correct usually we like the molecules to be in a nice chain so when they're refined for gasoline yeah you got these long chains of carbon molecules but the one the bitumen or what we call the acetines yeah they're in these large sheets and the problem is that each molecule is different that's really the tricky part of this because we don't actually know what we're getting it's actually very hard to characterize acetines and, and bitumen to a point because they're just so randomized versus the molecules we're used to and especially for carbon fiber there's a very specific order to things so if we don't even understand the feedstock material we have to turn it into something that is that linear chain that you were talking about ah got it okay and what uh tell us about your work uh, maybe we'll start with the removing the impurities what are the impurities how do you how do you propose to remove them from the asphaltines so a lot of them are the heavy metals uh the bad stuff the, the biggest one is sulfur um so if the sulfur is too high when we go to following steps to convert the bitumen and asphaltines into something we would use for carbon fiber uh, the sulfur is, is kind of a bad news. So uh, there's several different ways uh, the impurities can be removed. Uh, one is by adding additives that will then bind to the impurities and we can kind of scavenge them out. It's probably the most um, popular one. Uh, the, the, the way my group's doing things is a, a little bit different. Um, so we actually use a uh, electrochemical method um, can't tell you the exact solution we use, but um, essentially we're just uh, applying a small voltage um, across this bitumen. So sort of make sort of a froth, if you can think. And this electrical work actually helps remove the impurities. They sort of just float to the top and we can scavenge them out. So what we're left with is a much more pure uh, form of the asphaltine that we can then use for further processing. And we don't have to use any scavengers or even any heat or anything like that. So it's a very low energy intensive process. 
to remove the impurities from our method. And uh, has your method, uh, have you done it just in the lab or are we, have you taken it out and done a little uh, pilot, a demonstration project, something like that? Pop. Pilot, no, we, we've done the lab scale. Uh, right now we're limited to lab scale only because to scale to pilot is very uh, capital cost intensive, you could say, because every one of our processes can be scaled. It's just a matter of getting a bigger battery, bigger container, um, but we've only limited to lab scale at this point. So you can think sort of benchtop uh, pressure cooker size uh, we've already done proof of concept, which was a beaker size. Now we're moving into the buckets, paint buckets, and everything's scaling quite linearly. So we're quite happy about that. So, so based on experience, and you, you anticipate that what you do at the the lab scale, uh, the bench scale, will uh, will scale in a linear fashion up to pilot scale and eventually to commercial scale. Well, that's that's the hope, right? I know that's what we, we tell ourselves. Everything will be linear, but as we research is research, and you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that's what that's what gets you through the day, gets you up and gets get you going. That you'll be able to yeah. To these scale these it. questions that we're trying to trying to solve, because of course you know we could double, triple, quadruple the size of the volume that we're putting through this process, and for all we know, it could work flawlessly or it doesn't work at all. Right. We won't know until we try, which is mostly part of uh, what we're working on right now. Fair enough. Um, what now? What about the the second phase of this, where you're working with the the bitumen molecule to turn it into something that uh, is suitable for being a carbon fiber precursor? What can you tell us about that? Right. So I'll tell you as much as I can. Uh, we'll see how far I go without getting into too much trouble, but it's the same sort of method. We're going to be using this electric electricity because normally what happens is we have kind of to go back to this, the sheet analogy. So if, if we have the sheet of these large molecules and they're almost 3D in a way, so you can think of all these branches coming out all over the place, uh, they're very hard to stack. So we call that um, isotropic. So meaning that no matter which way you look on the molecule, it's kind of averages out to sort of the same properties. Now, if you think of a piece of paper, it's sort of longer in one direction than it would be in thickness. So we're calling it call that an anisotropic. So one size is different than the other. That's what we're trying to do with the uh, asphaltines. So we're trying to make an anisotropic molecule, which they actually call a, a mesophase or mesophase, depending on who you ask. It's kind of a tomato-tomato sort of thing. But there's a lot of work on mesophase for pitch. So pitch is just a sort of a bitumen, kind of agglomerated word that I found through the literature. And through this mesophase, that's what we're going to be using to sort of stack the molecules together in order to eventually get to carbon fiber. So most of the work has been in producing that that mesophase from the bitumen. So we're trying to realign the molecules into stack sheets, take that out, and that's what we're actually going to be using to make high-strength uh, carbon fiber. Right. And my understanding is that the work you'll do will be making the precursor, uh, which then there's a melting, uh, melt-spin process, basically, to make these very, very thin uh, strands of Precursor that get made into the carbon fiber. It's going to bond it yeah, together to the exactly. carbon fiber. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. The uh, only issue is that when we have that that mesophase, since they're stacked so tightly together, the melting point of the molecule increases quite a bit. So it's actually very hard to melt spin. So sometimes we have to add in some additives, but if you add in additives to something that's no longer pure, the properties drop. So it's really an art at this point, more than science. So are you, you're experimenting with getting the additives right to find that, that ideal combination that gives you the, the best attributes uh, in, the, in the material that you can, you can achieve? Pretty much, yeah. If I had to sum it up in a few sentences, that would be exactly right. And how is the research looking at, at this point, Kevin? And I asked this question because I interviewed a couple of scientists from uh, two teams at the University of Calgary who are part, also part of the Grand Challenge. And we didn't get into this level of detail, but we did talk about in general, uh, you know, did they think they were going to be able to solve their, their science challenges and, you know, with the technical issues that you're talking about, and they were confident that that they would, uh, and where you sit now, uh, how are you feeling about the chances of your team solving these issues? Uh, I'm actually feeling uh, pretty good, Markham, because the, the approach I've taken from the beginning is I make my team up of people with different expertise. Um, and going into phase three, what we really needed was someone who could melt spin. Because when we started this project, uh, you know, we're naive and thinking, yeah, we can just throw it into the machine and melt it down and push it through that tiny hole to get a fiber. And it is not as easy as it looks. Uh, we ran into a lot of issues with basically it's temperatures too high, the winding speeds too high, or it's too slow. All these things we didn't think about. So instead, uh, my immediate team is focused on that precursor we talked about. And I'm actually bringing in another partner for phase three, which is all they do is melt spinning. That is their game. They can melt spin anything. So my hope is that I can hand off the precursor and tell them what we would like to do. And using their expertise with their staff, we can come together and figure out a way to get this melt spun into a nice fiber. Would it be fair to say that a lot of the science has been, I was going to use the word solved, solved, but that's probably the wrong word. But you know what I mean. That you've 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 done this the science. The science has proved out at, uh, on the on the bench, and now it's a question of engineering uh, the equipment and the processes to turn that into pre precursor and then into carbon fiber. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, yeah. Just with one one caveat. So, in in a perfect world, we would like to take uh, that bitumen and acetylene and make a hundred percent precursor from it. Um, but it's kind of a, a batch process, and right now we're at about uh, fifteen, almost twenty percent of the precursor. So, one of the main things that I'm focusing on now is getting that twenty percent up up higher. So we can get more of that precursor from the bitumen to make more carbon fiber. So the proof of concept and sort of lab scale of making the process and technique, it, it's valid. I have pictures of it showing that it works. I just need to do a better job at it, hence the research over the next little bit. It sounds like once you've got it to this point, it becomes iterative, meaning, you know, we're going to try this one and then a little improvement and then try another one and another one and another one and another one. And eventually down the road, you get to a point that it's commercial, you can scale it and and it becomes commercially viable. Exactly. So it's 
we, we can throw out these fancy words like bitumen and asphaltines and precursor and mesophase and anisotropic and all that. But just, just like my teaching, I, the, the whole process is actually, when you look down to the bare bones, is quite simple. We're taking this messy molecule, we're going to align it using electricity, we're going to stack them like sheets of paper and basically push them through a hot glue gun. In, in essence, that's it. So it's iterative in the sense that we're just going to keep trying to make a better and better fiber. Well, the simple things are always the hardest to get perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. Now, your PhD is in materials engineering, and and regular followers of my journalism will know that I'm a, a big fan. I've been arguing for four or five years now that Alberta's uh, oil and gas future is actually in converting those hydrocarbons into materials as opposed to sending them as feedstock to refineries down in the U.S. So you've essentially built up a domestic uh, manufacturing industry. And I've talked, I've interviewed uh, uh, folks in the carbon fiber manufacturing industry who are paying attention to what uh, is going on in Alberta. And the re one of the reasons they are is because they'll get an equivalent carbon fiber precursor at about half the cost. Of, of the mm -hmm. current that's that's the hope and if that's the case then you uh, alberta will be able to turn out uh, a lot of carbon fiber that's it'll essentially revolutionize carbon fiber markets because now it's half the price of it of the competitors and so my question yeah. to companies like zoltec in missouri uh was where would you build those plants and they said well we build them in alberta because you build the carbon fiber manufacturing plant as close to the source of the precursor as you can so you're not transporting that precursor uh around Correct, yeah. and so this is this is really where the opportunity comes in is because not only do you get now you've okay you transformed the the bitumen and now you're going to turn it into a plant but there are supply chains that have to uh, serve mm -hmm. those those manufacturing plants and next thing you know you've got this industrial cluster of of you know you're extracting the bitumen in northern alberta you send it down to let's just hypothetically say this you know that industrial park uh, with the uh, heartland industrial park north of of edmonton so you send it there and one company you know takes it your process let's say and turns the bitumen into precursor and then another company takes that and and turns it into into carbon fiber and then you've got in that cluster you've got all the supply to the rest of the companies that supply that that industry and what you've done is you've essentially created a domestic market uh for a product whose global markets will be declining and you're creating and all of it now happens in alberta you've you know this the holy grail of, of economic diversification in alberta may actually be tied to this and your but your expertise in materials engineering let's get away from just the grant fiber, carbon fiber grand challenge and back up a little bit and look at this in a more global view is are these hydrocarbons a good basis for materials engineering for making making materials uh as we move into this post combustion world uh, absolutely. So I know you wanted to say get away from the carbon fiber, but with the hydrocarbons, carbon, carbon fiber, that's sort of where Alberta Innovates had this idea to start this whole sort of challenge to get things moving towards that. And the, the issue with carbon fiber, as you mentioned, it, it's very expensive. So in order to get these uh, new materials, anything that comes from hydrocarbons into the market globally, they do need to be less expensive. Otherwise, they won't be adopted. So you have costs to look at, 
but the performance seems to be the same or better, right? Because you can imagine if we had a cheaper alternative, but you had half the performance mechanical wise, it wouldn't be adopted very well. And you've pumped so much capital investment into making Alberta into this, this ecosystem of a new supply chain for materials, but they, they do need to perform either equally or better than the traditional materials out there. And that's sort of the goal with the carbon fiber. Right. And it sounds like uh, at this admittedly pre preliminary stage that that goal is possible. It's It's been proven possible on a small scale. Yeah. So we're just trying to scale everything up and be able to sort of pump out these fibers that have superior properties to what's out there at roughly half or less the cost. And for listeners who are trying to visualize what this looks like, the, the precursor itself, if I... Uh, remember correctly, it kind of looks like black cotton candy, very, very, yeah. very thin, thin fibers. Yeah, yeah. So there's 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 several stages. <clears throat> There'll be a uh, what we call the green fiber, which is right out of the melt spinner. You can think of yeah, cotton candy. Um, that needs to be um, heat up quite high um, to sort of stabilize the molecules, and we carbonize them. And then at some point, we can even graphitize them at higher temperatures. So there's a lot of heat involved um, with this process as well. So we need to make that efficient, um, especially in this post-combustion world. Is there any chance that that can be an electrical process or we, it, it, will it necessitate using natural gas? Well, that's one of the attractiveness of our group is that to make that, that precursor, we do use an electrical method, which has a very low over potential it's not a lot of energy it, we, we used a battery a, a car battery we could use in our garage to make this precursor it, it doesn't take a lot of energy traditionally the precursor from pitch was uh, using high heat and pressure so if you can imagine heating up this large batch of this black goop it does take a lot of energy so we've already shown that we can just use electricity a very low amount of electricity to almost do the same thing. We just have to make it a little bit better, hence the research. Right. And, and for non-Alberta listeners, we should point out that Alberta has the best wind and solar resources uh, in Canada. And it's, uh, it's the only uh, wholesale electricity market that is uh, deregulated in Canada. And mm -hmm. so that has led uh, Alberta to uh, attracting the most investment in wind and solar over the past two, three, four years. And that's projected to, to uh, go uh, continue into the future. So what that means is there's an opportunity here, uh, if it's an electrical process, to don't need coal, don't need even natural gas. It can be, uh, it can be powered by, uh, by wind and solar or who knows what we're going to see, small modular reactors or, you know, geothermal, closed loop geothermal. There's lots of opportunities in Alberta to do clean electricity to power this process. Mm -hmm, exactly. So, Kevin, give us a sense of the, the timelines here. You're going into phase three. Uh, phase two of, of the Grand Carbon Fiber Grand Challenge wrapped up here uh, not too long ago. You're going into phase three right away. Uh, when I, I know uh, Apollo, when I was interviewing him uh, earlier this year, thought that that phase three might be over in like 2025, somewhere in around there. Is that is that your take? Yeah, I believe it was a couple of years for phase three. So it's the largest portion. There's the most investment 
um, from Alberta Innovates for that that portion. Yeah, phase two just ended for us. Uh, the teams for phase three have not been announced. Um, they're right now they're in the process of adjudicating all the proposals. Um, originally, back when they first had the grand challenge, it was going to be teams in phase one were the only ones that could go to phase two and then to phase three. So hence the challenge was basically whoever made it to the end um, basically solved the problem. But Alberta Innovates, I believe, opened up phase three for anybody. So you didn't even have to participate in phase one or two at this point, which I think has sort of prolonged the adjudication process. So for all I know, I won't even be involved with phase three, right? It hasn't been awarded yet. That'll be, uh, I actually have a presentation at the end of the month uh, to go over my my plans and sort of dreams for phase three with Alberta Innovates. Well, we're we're going to keep our fingers crossed for you uh, yeah. that you make it into phase three, because it sounds like, it sounds like your, uh, your technology has a, uh, uh, in a lot of potential. Uh, so again, getting back to your experience as a materials engineer, uh, one of the things that I've been told by uh, Alberta Innovates uh, research staff, and uh, Apollo and, uh, and Brian both made this point, but others have as well. And that is uh, Alberta has a, a lead in this, a global lead in terms of this research uh, and the same is true on, on captured CO2 to some extent. Um, but it really, at this, at this point in history, it's it has to be pedal to the metal. There's no letting up because otherwise some other, you know, well-heeled state like Saudi Arabia or maybe the Americans with all of the money they're pouring into uh, clean energy through the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and other acts uh, could overtake Alberta and 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 that lead would be squandered uh what would be your take on that i agree with everything you said uh a lot of it comes down to resources so if you can imagine yeah uh, saudi arabia or united states some of the research labs they were basically printing money uh, for a lot of their groups um and in alberta uh just due to the size of the, the province you know it's kind of hard to compete but I, I think we're doing a fairly significant job based with the everything you said before both the um, energy wind energy solar energy uh, we do have one of the largest hydrocarbon reserves in the world um, which gives us a huge advantage if we can figure out how to tap into that so um i guess in terms of alberta being sort of the little guy compared to two larger nations i think we're doing a pretty good job markham yeah, I would I would agree wholeheartedly. I, I just want to make sure that uh, you know the Albertans understand that you have the lead, but if you don't uh, pay attention and put the resources necessary to do the kind of work that you're doing, leads can be lost. Exactly, especially um, coming up now in the next, I'd say five six years, we're kind of teetering on the edge of a lot of societal decisions that are going to be made, and uh, that'll really determine the direction of the province, I believe. I, I want to just expand a little bit on something you mentioned, uh, and, and it, we've we've touched on all of it in, during this interview, but I want to bring it together. And that is Alberta's competitive advantage here. There, It is, it has the largest uh, heavy crude or bitumen uh, uh, reserve in the world. Uh, I think actually Venezuela is a little bit bigger, but it's not the same. And so it's very unique hydrocarbon resource for, that's number one. Number two, it has the ability to build out uh, clean electricity, and that's not available everywhere. 
uh, and that gives it, a, it, it Alberta a, a clear competitive advantage. And I should note here uh, that very often I'm talking to startups or, or companies that are looking to expand and they're looking to site a plant. And they say, what's the number one thing you're looking for when you go to site that manufacturing plant? And they always say it has to be carbon-free electricity. That that's like table stakes in in mm -hmm. the the new industrial economy is you have to have clean energy. Without that, uh, everybody knows that down the road the carbon intensity of various products is going to be a competitive issue. If you've got you know electricity that's generated by coal, then the carbon intensity of your product will is, is going to be you're going to be penalized through a carbon tax or some kind of carbon pricing or some other kind of a penalty. So everybody wants to avoid that, what they think is coming. And so they're looking for clean electricity. So Alberta has abundance of that. But there's another thing in here, and you represent part of the third competitive advantage here, which is expertise, because Alberta has a tremendous amount of technical expertise that's been garnered over the last 70 or 80 years in the growth of the uh, of the oil and gas industry, because it's not just like Texas, where you're you're you know you're basically drilling wells and bringing up uh, uh, you know light sweet crude, and not to not to diss Texas. I mean, you know they've developed the shale technology there and and fracking and all of that. But what I'm saying is that there's expertise around around bitumen, uh, there's engineering expertise, there's uh, uh, science expertise, the University of Alberta and the University of Calgary both have excellent uh, research capacity and, and folks. So all, when you put all of those three together, it seems to me Alberta right at the moment would be leading because it has a heck of a competitive advantage. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Uh, there's the university. You think of the amount of large companies centered in Edmonton and Calgary, um, and even beyond 80 years of experience with everybody working in the province uh, towards that. Yeah, I, I would agree. And uh, this is one of those things, you know, when I was in, in graduate school, low those 40 years ago, uh, I did a lot of work. I was really interested in how industry got started, how businesses got started in like the 19th century and into the 20th century and why, why we would have, I'll just give you an example, in the 1920s, we had all kinds of manufacturers of threshing machines and, and tractors and, you know, that the emerging egg uh, power farming technology of the day, and we lost most of it. And eventually, the ones that did survive, like Massey Harris, uh, we lost those. And they, you know, they got bought out. They either failed uh, in the face of American competition, or eventually they got bought out by American companies. And we had this competitive advantage early on. And for whatever reason, we lost it. And that's hardly the the only uh, example we can think of. Nortel and and uh, BlackBerry, and there's there's all kinds of examples. This is an opportunity if we do it right. That, that Alberta and Canada can lead the way on combustion, post-combustion uses for, for hydrocarbons and, for, and always lead, and always lead and be at the forefront of this and build an industrial base, uh, post, you know, a clean energy post-combustion industrial base that is second to none and could power the, the province well into the 22nd century. I think if we need to have that big picture imagining because we're not getting it at the provincial government level. We're not getting it at the, the big oil uh, company level. 
And we need, Albertans need to have this conversation. So Kevin, thank you very much for this. You, you, we've, I hope we've furthered the, the, conversa the needed conversation a little bit today. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be keeping track and, and keeping an eye on how you're doing. We'll have you back uh, for a future episode of Energy Talks. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. 